Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Lloyd Matheson. Could the partisan gridlock on big, all-encompassing bills be getting us closer to finally getting around to something bipartisan, especially as it relates to fixing America's broken immigration system? An interesting group of senators is coming together to try and do just that, something we've said that is possible. If you can break it down into smaller, bite-sized, chewable, doable pieces that everybody seems to agree on anyway. Uh, and uh, we're going to take a harder look at that. And really pleased to have joining us on the show today, uh, Suzanne Moniak, uh, who's a reporter for Roll Call, who covers immigration and Congress, and she joins us on the line now. Thanks for jumping on with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you had a great piece uh, in Roll Call uh, talking about senators relaunching a, a bipartisan immigration discussion. We we know over the years we've seen lots of gangs of 8 and 12 and 16 with, with big, massive, uh, kind of total package kinds of immigration discussions. What are, the, what are these discussions looking like? What's the shape of it? Yeah, so uh, it looks like these discussions are shaping out to be a bit different than some of those more comprehensive efforts that you referenced. We're just at a group of four right now. It's uh, Dick Durbin, the Senate Judiciary Chairman, joined by fellow Democrat Alex Padilla, as well as Republicans Tom Tillis in North Carolina and John Cornyn in Texas. And they're really working to identify individual, more narrow, smaller immigration bills where they think they could get enough bipartisan support to pass. So in the Senate, that's 60 votes to overcome a filibuster. Yeah, those uh, those 60 vote limits uh, always make it a little interesting. But I think there some of the things they seem to be uh, attacking on this or some of the early conversations anyway. Uh, tell us about some of those kind of more narrow areas of focus that uh, this group of four is starting to talk about. Yeah, so there's a number of areas that we've seen some bipartisan interest in in the past when it comes to immigration. One of those is migrant farm worker relief. Uh, we have a visa system right now. It's called the H-2A visa that allows migrants to do seasonal labor on farms that currently does not provide a path to citizenship. And as a result, there's been some instances of employer exploitation of these farm workers. So that's been a bill that passed the House last year and is potentially going to be introduced in the Senate. That's gotten some bipartisan support. Others include green card reforms. Uh, we have very long green card backlogs right now that have kept people with you know, high-skilled high professional jobs waiting years and years and years on these work visas for a green card to become available. And it's, you know, it's affecting their families too. Some of those, uh, some of those have children. They were referred to sometimes as documented dreamers who have grown up here legally uh, on their parents' visas, but then they turn 21 and their parents are still in the backlog and they're sort of out of luck. And so, you know, those are just a few of some of the uh, immigration topics that have garnered more bipartisan interest in the past that are up for discussion. Yeah, let, let's dig in just a little bit on those children, this uh, age out. I don't think a lot of people have been tracking that really closely, but these are, these are people who are 
here, their parents had green cards, but in that or were in that backlog of, of getting things done. Uh, how is that shaping out? What does that number look like in terms of impact? Yeah, so um, the documented dreamer issue is definitely a more niche one. Um, it is, like you mentioned, it's people who grew up here legally through their parents' work visas. And so these are, you know, children who came over, say, as, you know, maybe their parent was on an H-1B visa, um, for example. And, uh, you know, I think it's a little unclear exactly how many there are. I, I've heard around 200,000 thrown out. So, I mean, it's not an insignificant population. And I think it's it's maybe seen as a more sympathetic one because similar to the traditional dreamer population that we think of, these are people who, uh, you know, grew up here and they were brought here and they've never known another country. And this is where they want to build their homes. Many of them may have already started building their homes and gone to college here. So, you know, that's a, an area where if, you know, we were to see an immigration bill, it would be very targeted and, you know, not be some sweeping legalization bill that a lot of people have been pushing for, but just might be an area where enough Republicans might be willing to sign on. Yeah, I think that's an important discussion to be had, and I'm I'm one of those who still thinks we could solve 94% of this in an afternoon because everybody agrees <laughs> on the on the principles and the policies, but the politics get in the way. So let's talk about the politics of it all. Obviously, it's a critical uh, midterm election year. You've got things going on at the border. You've also got uh, issues around Title 42. Give us the lay of the land there. Yes, yeah, so the politics of it all are always the problem when it comes to immigration, and as you mentioned, this is a midterm year. So as when, you know, with midterms comes, you know, tricky politics. And I think border security has been an issue that has derailed immigration efforts in the past. And this year is no different. But, you know, this challenge appears, you know, even more acute potentially this year with the, you know, upcoming list of Title 42, which uh, for those who aren't familiar is a border directive related to the pandemic that allows border agents to rapidly expel uh, asylum seekers who cross the border and request protection without having to hear their claims. And that's been in effect since March of 2020. There's a lot of concerns that when that order gets lifted, currently set for the end of May, um, that we're going to see, you know, an influx in migration to the border. And that's something the Department of Homeland Security is bracing for. And so that's something that is certainly not going to make <laughs> make for an excellent climate for immigration reform discussions when we have very high migration levels, you know, months before a midterm election and vulnerable Democrats who, you know, don't want to get battered on border security in the campaign. Yeah, and of course, both sides love to raise campaign cash uh, off of this uh, one way or the other, uh, which always continues to be part of the problem and why we don't get to these deals. I, I am encouraged by this group. I know uh, there's there's a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of doubters, uh, including Senator Cornyn, uh, who <laughs> is like, hey, I, I've been on this train uh, a number of times, and uh, it's sort of the uh, Lucy and uh, Charlie Brown hold, uh, with the football, and it always kind of gets pulled out at the end. Uh, is, there a, is there a path on this? Could this be different? Different this time around. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, the golden question here and what everybody is asking. Um, and you mentioned Cornyn's quote. He said, we've never failed to fail when it comes to immigration, which I think it was a very snappy quote from that senator. Um, and, uh, you know, that's true. And if you look at recent history, you know, there's really no reason to be optimistic here. You may recall that a bipartisan group of senators were having similar discussions this time last year and those broke down. And so, you know, we may absolutely see history repeat itself. But at the same time, I, you know, have heard political analysts tell me that piecemeal is the way to go when it comes to immigration reform. And by that, I mean more narrow, smaller topics as opposed to trying to do a comprehensive overhaul of the immigration system. And so, you know, maybe we will see something move. Maybe we won't. Uh, I think that from talking to senators on the Capitol on Thursday, they seem to just feel encouraged that they were meeting at all. 
Yeah, I, I do think that's a positive thing, and I do think the bite-sized pieces are the laser focus, I think, could could be the difference maker on this one. Uh, Suzanne, before I let you go, is there anything else that you're watching or any other little signals we should be looking for as these talks continue? You know, I'm going to continue, you know, coming up to Capitol, uh, asking lawmakers how these meetings are going. I mean, I certainly will be watching for May 23rd, the current date that Title 42 is set to be lifted, assuming it does ultimately terminate on that date, except for litigation at the moment. Because I, I could see, you know, if, if migration numbers are as bad as, you know, the Department of Homeland Security is bracing for or worse, potentially, I think that could really, you know, be poisonous to any type of, you know, appetite for you know, bipartisan immigration reform, even in areas that are completely outside of the border, like when we're talking about green cards and farm workers and, you know, uh, just, you know, areas that are not, you know, related to border security. And so I think that's certainly what I'll be watching, just sort of how those politics are progressing on the Hill. Uh, great insight. Important topic. Uh, Suzanne Moniak is a reporter for Roll Call covering immigration and Congress. So thanks for your insight today. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much again for having me on. Uh, so an important discussion, and I love the fact that they're having this discussion even in a midterm election year, and I love the fact that they're looking at this in small pieces. Uh, forever, I have passionately believed that we could get through most of the immigration issues because uh, everybody agrees. But when you put it together in a 3,000-page bill with all kinds of other stuff jammed in, you're never going to get 60 votes on that in the Senate. But if you can target it, very specific things. Uh, I think it can get done and it will be a test of political courage and political will and political leadership if they can actually get it done. We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour break. Coming up after the news, how can we best protect online medical privacy? Shoshana Weissman from Our Street Institute joins us to talk about why keeping the rules loose enough and fluid might actually be the best way to go when it comes to your privacy, your medical privacy online. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources right here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.